Hey guys, welcome back again to my podcast. Welcome. I'm so excited that you guys have decided to join me in this episode. Again, as I said, I have another visitor in the house. Her name is Savannah. Savannah is like, oh my gosh, a girl that you want to meet. She is powerful woman of God. And she recently graduated from the University of South Carolina. So she is a Gamecock fan. Savannah is also the co-director at Grace Life for the youth ministry. Savannah is awesome. Like, if you guys ever meet her, like, she is full of joy and energy. You cannot know if Savannah is tired or not because she always has this energy and joy in her. And as you guys continue to listen to this podcast, you're going to hear how Savannah talks about a very important scripture to her that talks about the joy of the Lord. Guys, Savannah is awesome. So stay tuned until the very end. Okay. And just to add on to this, like the word of God is amazing. It's like a solid foundation. And as we go through every single book of the Bible, I want you guys to think about it. Like this book is from God. Like it is like, this is a manual that God gave me to live a great life upon the earth. He didn't leave me empty handed, but he gave me all the tools and supplies that I need and it is all inside of his word. I need you guys to stop thinking about it as a book that was written by just a man or King James or whatsoever you guys have in mind. Think about it as something that is from God because the Bible does say that all scripture is inspired by God. And I think it just makes it easier to believe and also to understand when we just think about it in that perspective. This is just an opinion, but I think it's something that has helped me. So Savannah is going to introduce herself. She is fun. So enjoy this podcast. Now see you guys in the next episode. What's up, guys? Savannah Simpson here coming at you live from Columbia, South Carolina. I just want to say a huge thank you to Divine Favor for just giving me this opportunity to come alongside you guys as we get to dive into scripture. So I just love talking about Jesus. So we will jump back into our scripture and book reading today in the Bible code, finding Jesus in every book in the Bible. We're jumping into chapter 11. So we are talking about finding Jesus in Ezra. He is our faithful scribe. So it starts out with this scripture. Ezra was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. That's Ezra 7, 6, and 10. Following the Babylonian exile, three prominent Jewish leaders returned to the devastated city of Jerusalem. Zerubbabel was assigned the task of leading in the rebuilding of the temple, which had been plundered and left to ruins. Nehemiah mobilized and motivated the Jewish exiles to rebuild the city's broken walls and burned gates that left it vulnerable to enemies. But it was the faithful scribe Ezra's task to accomplish the most important of the rebuilding assignments. Ezra pointed the people to God's word. 
and led in the crucial rebuilding of the spiritual integrity of the people of God. And like all great leaders, he led by example. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. While we never read of a direct mention of the Messiah in Ezra, it is impossible to miss Jesus walking through these verses, manifesting himself in the life of this faithful scribe. As a scribe, Ezra revered and honored the Holy Scriptures and sought not to simply know them, but to put them in practice in his daily life. In like manner, Jesus loved the scriptures and built his earthly life upon them. When, after his baptism, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, he answered each attempt to sidetrack him from his mission by saying, It is written, Matthew 4, 4, 7, and 10. Jesus stood on the word of God and applied it to every detail of his life. All of scripture was given to us by inspiration of the Lord himself, 2 Timothy 3, 16. Inspiration means the words are God's own words, and he gave them to man through men. Simon Peter said, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1.21. Ironically, the identical Greek word translated here as moved appears in the accounts of Paul's shipwreck record in Acts 27. There came a fierce storm and the sailors on board, unable to guide or steer the ship because of the strong winds, simply let the winds take the ship wherever they blew it. Acts 27, 15, 17. Just as the sailors were active on the ship, yet had relinquished control over where it would go. So it was with the Bible's writers. In a very real sense, the writings were not their own. God expressed this very point to Jeremiah saying, I have put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah 1.9. The scripture never originated with men. It originated with the Lord himself. The writer's personalities and styles are unique to them, but it was God who moved them to write by his spirit, the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead. Ezra grasped this truth and submitted himself like our Lord when he was encased in human flesh to these truths. We also find Jesus reflected in Ezra as the faithful scribe wept over Jerusalem, just as our Lord would weep over the same city four and a half centuries later. Ezra poured out his heart with tears of remorse for the wasted years of Israel's rebellion, Ezra 10.1. This is reminiscent of our Lord's actions on what should have been a grand and glorious day as he rode into the holy city amid cheers and hosannas, the adoring throngs. Jesus should have been smiling from ear to ear and waving as he passed down the Palm Sunday road, but instead he was weeping. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, things that make your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Luke 19, 41 through 42. Ezra's call for repentance and moral reform found their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays forth the original intent of this lawgiver himself. Repeatedly, we hear him say, you have heard, but I say to you, Matthew 5, 21 through 48. For example, Jesus stated that we have heard we should not commit adultery. And then he added, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 28. Jesus didn't dispute what was written in the law of Moses. Rather, he was the original intent of the lawgiver himself. After all, he was the author. Jesus made the law a matter of the heart. 
Ezra's call for repentance and moral reform found their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Ezra, like Jesus, gave the people of God something that would endure through the centuries to come. He organized the chosen people around the Torah, the word of God. Until this very day, this is the distinguishing mark of the Jewish people. Not geography or national origin, but adherence to God's word, the sacred Torah. This is what sustained them through Roman persecution, worldwide dispersion, the Spanish Inquisition, the Russian pogroms, the Polish ghettos, the Nazi death camps, God's word, both living in the person of Christ and written in holy scriptures is alive and well. When we see Ezra, there is a real sense in which we see our own faithful scribe, the Lord Jesus Christ. For in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1, 1 and 14. We find Jesus walking through these verses of Ezra. He was and is and forever will be our faithful scribe. Y'all, what an incredible story that we just heard about Ezra. Ezra is the faithful scribe. I just love how when Ezra is talking, it just brings out the heart of God. That these are the mouth. It came from his mouth, but it's literally from the mouth of God is what he says in scripture. It gives the heart behind what God is speaking to. And it goes back to the law of Moses. It's the heart of God. Anything in the Old Testament reveals the heart of God. Sometimes we can be talking and feel like scripture. Oh, it's so old. It's dated. It's different. But when we really look at scripture, it's not that we should abide by the law and we should do all of this stuff and follow all these rules, but we see the heart of God in the Old Testament. We see that he cared for the needy. He cared for the sick. He cared like the heart of God through all of this. Okay, so let's backtrack it to that page 48 when it says Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. That's Ezra 7.10. I love this because it really reveals how leaders are the lid. This is something that John Maxwell says all the time, that leaders are the lid. So if if Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, it was up to Ezra to seek the law of the Lord, to then speak to the people. So if we ain't seeking the heart of the Lord, we can't speak to the people from the heart of the Lord. So it was his pursuit of Jesus that allowed to lead for transformation in the lives of those around him and those following him, because leaders are the lid. So picture a cup and then a lid on top of that cup. If all of the people following you are inside of the cup, they can't go any higher than the lid of the cup because you're the leader and you're the lid. So it's up to us to raise that lid, to learn more, to pursue God more, to learn his ideas, to just grow in him so that those under us can rise with us. So I just love how Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And he was leading by example, right? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So it was Ezra leading worthy of being followed by those under him. So he was pursuing and seeking God and following through with that. It's pretty dope. So going back as it's talking about God's heart for the lost, I like when it says on page 50, where it talks about how the Lord would weep over the same city four and a half centuries later that Ezra is literally weeping over here because of Israel's rebellion. It reveals how sin breaks God's heart. And so when we sin, the Lord weeps over it. Like he is jealous for us. That's what his love looks like. He loves us so much that when we're separated from him, it just causes him to weep. 
And so it's just so you see the Lord's heart through Ezra as he is intimate and close with Jesus, that he is beginning to have the same heart or a like heart as the Lord, um, as sin is breaking his heart. So even for myself, I pray that sin would begin to break my heart. Like when I pray for my future husband, I pray that like sin would break his heart. Like that's something that we read in books all the time. It's just Lord, would you prepare my heart to just be broken for what breaks yours, God? So I think it's just really cool to just, it reveals God's heart, right? Like the, the Lord would weep. Like he's not angry. He's not like shooting down lightning bolts at these people, but he is weeping over this city that is just so far from him because he's jealous for their love. He's jealous for their attention and they're just intimacy with him as they rebel. So it just reveals his love as a loving father and not that strict like father that sometimes we can picture God as being this like, oh, big and bad, gonna harm you. Like, no, he is weeping when we are far. He's not necessarily uh, wanting to fight us or wanting to do anything wrong, but it's um, just that intimate love for us. So that's really cool. Also, it doesn't talk about it in this chapter, but Nehemiah 8.10 says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This actually brought me through one of the hardest seasons of my life. I mean, we talked about it earlier with Ezra. The Jews were going through an incredibly hard time in their life. And so what's crazy now is that we can seek the Lord. Do not grieve, because it's his joy. It's not the joy that's inside of me that I have to cultivate and try and be happy in every situation. We need to call on Jesus, that no matter what my circumstance is, my hope is in him. And it is his joy that is my strength. It's not mine. It's not my happiness, but his joy. The joy, the joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And to close it out, one of the biggest things that stood out to me in the end is when it talks about the distinguishing mark of the Jewish people is adherence to God's word. I feel like a lot of days in today's world, especially from the South, being from South Carolina, a lot of people that I meet are like, yeah, I'm Christian. Yeah, I go to church. But do we actually live it out in our regular life? Do we go to a Sunday service and then leave transformed? And that affects how we talk to people at the grocery store, how we talk to our friends and family during Thanksgiving meals. Like, does that literally transform our life? And so it, the distinguishing mark of Jewish people, what it literally got them through Roman persecution, the worldwide dispersion, like the, like literally the Nazi death camps, what got the Jewish people through that time is adherence to God's word. And that's what I'm excited about to get into the next chapter because Nehemiah talks about how the joy of the Lord is our strength. So now we are going to be jumping into the next chapter, which is chapter 12, Finding Jesus in Nehemiah. He is the rebuilder of our broken walls. So let's jump in. Then the king said to me, what do you request? And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah 2, 4 through 5. Nehemiah lived some 2,500 years ago, and he wrote the book on rebuilding. God recorded it for us and placed it in the Bible for all posterity. Nehemiah was neither a preacher nor a prophet. He was a civil servant, an ordinary guy who applied some universal principles that enabled him to rebuild a broken city and in the process, a lot of broken hopes. His story unfolds years after the Babylonians destroyed the city of Jerusalem and took captives away to Babylon. They demolished the temple, broke down the ancient walls, and burned the city gates. 
for years, the holy city lay in ruins. Motivated by his passion to restore Jerusalem to the former glory, he took it upon himself to return, encourage the remnant that remained, and rebuild the city's broken walls. In just 52 days, this amazing feat was accomplished, Nehemiah 6.15, but not without tremendous opposition from without and also from within. Conflict will tear your team apart, whether it is at home, in the office, on the court, or even in the church. Unresolved conflicts can do irreparable damage. Nehemiah chapter 5 finds the Jews faced with the very real possibility that the wall might not be rebuilt due to some conflicts that had arisen between members of Nehemiah's own team. Long before any of the modern motivational gurus wrote on conflict resolution, Nehemiah employed four essential and now time-tested elements to resolve their conflicts and enable the rebuilding of the broken walls. First, Nehemiah revealed to us that there is a time to back off. Nehemiah began by backing off, and there was a wise reason to do so. He had, in his own words, become very angry, Nehemiah 5.6. He was wise enough to know that when this happens, the best thing to do is to back off and give some serious thought to the situation. This phrase in our English Bibles translates to two Hebrew words meaning to counsel or give advice. The inner man, the heart. Nehemiah was literally saying, I backed off and listened to my heart. I took counsel with my heart. And in doing so, he found a course of action that ultimately led his people back on the walls and back to the business of rebuilding. After backing off, Nehemiah next revealed, there is a time to stand up. He boldly stood up and confronted those he believed to be wrong and whose actions had initiated the conflict. Conflict resolution never means simply backing off and always giving, away, giving in at any cost. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, pronounced a blessing on the peace lovers, Matthew 5, 9. There are times we must stand up and make peace with others. Third, Nehemiah revealed to us that there is a time to give in. He allowed others to save face. And what was far more important to give in on a few non-essentials, Nehemiah 5, 10 through 11. It is always best in our own relationships to lose a few little insignificant battles in order to win much bigger war. Nehemiah was not showing weakness by allowing others to have their way in non-essentials. He was showing strength. Too many conflicts are left under-resolved because some people insist they must win every little argument and point. Finally, we see in Nehemiah that there is a time to reach out. He built bridges, not barriers. With tender persuasion, he reached out and pleaded with the people to move past their differences in view of everyone's higher calling. And what was the result of this foretold approach? All the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise, Shalom returned. Can we see Jesus walking through these passages in Nehemiah? You and I were in conflicts with him. We had gone our own way. We had all sinned and fall short of the glory of his plan for us, Romans 3.23. So what did he do? He backed off in his darkest hour. See him beneath these old, gnarled olive trees in Gethsemane's garden in serious thought. He backed off and took counsel with his own heart. Then he stood up, seeing him before Caiaphas, the high priest, Herod, the puppet king, and Pilate, the Roman governor. 
When asked if he was the son of God, Jesus boldly replied, you are rightly say that I am. Luke twenty two seventy. Next, he gave in. He was not pushed, shoved, and kicked up the Via Della Rosa. He gave in and willingly went, led as a lamb to the slaughter. Isaiah 53, 7. Finally, Jesus reached out, suspended between heaven and earth on a cross. With arms outreached, Jesus reached out, imploring us all to be reconciled to God. Romans 5, 10. Yes, we find Jesus and Nehemiah as he is about the task of rebuilding our own broken walls. During the rebuilding process, Nehemiah had a rallying point for his entire team. He kept Trumpeter always close and constantly by his side. His instructions were, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us, Nehemiah 4. All across our world today, there are all kinds of men and women aiding in Christ's own rebuilding process. There are preachers, missionaries, teachers, laborers, laypersons, and they are scattered all along the wall. In some places, the ranks are thin. But we all have our own commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the rallying point for all of us under his service. One day, we will hear his trumpeter give the final trumpet sound. We will lay down our tools, leave our workstations, and rally around him when he comes to receive us as his own. We find Jesus in Nehemiah as he is about the task of rebuilding our own broken walls. The Bible is the Jesus book. It's all about him, and he is right here. In this book of Nehemiah, the rebuilder is our broken walls. Y'all, that was incredible. I just love this story of Nehemiah because he rebuilds this broken city, and it gives us hope that God can begin to rebuild in us our own broken walls so that we can go out, be sent, and help partner with God in rebuilding the broken walls of our own towns, of our own friends, and our own areas, and even all across the world. So just to recap what those four points were. Number one, there is a time to back off. Number two, there is a time to stand up. Number three, there is a time to give in. And number four, there is a time to reach out. I feel like all of these are just very necessary, especially when it comes to leading and pioneering in a way that nobody has ever done before. So I love how he says, there's a time to back off. Really, there's like, there's a time to humble yourself, ask for advice, like step away for a second. Like sometimes, I don't know, I can get heated in a situation. Somebody can make me mad, especially as a leader. We're going to be leading broken people. Like he's fixing broken walls. So there's going to be people that disagree with the way he does it. And sometimes we just got to back off and say, like, seek our counselor, the Lord, and then also seek counselors of human people <laughs> that can help us out um, because we're not alone in this. So to seek counsel, to give advice, the inner man heart. So to really just seek the Lord and working in our heart um, and working and healing in us in order to go out and lead other people. So I really like backing off, working on the inside in us, uh, seeking guidance, and then moving forward. Then it says in number two, there is a time to stand up. So I love how he compares peacemaking versus peace lovers. And so this peace, the peacemakers, like in order to make peace, there has to be war, <laughs> which is not, not what we would love. Like, yes, be at peace with everyone. But sometimes we have to have 
conflict. Like we have to have a hard conversation and we do that with both grace and truth. That's what the Bible says, right? But there has to be a, a level of truth where we make peace with people. So willing to stand up and have those hard conversations where the people disagreed with Nehemiah building that wall, but he went and did it anyways. And Number three, there's a time to give in. Number four, there's a time to reach out. I just really want to kind of speak on Nehemiah's story, like in Nehemiah chapter two, where it talks about his relationship with the king. Y'all, it says Nehemiah was from Judah, from Jerusalem, and he leaves there and he goes to be the king's cupbearer. Like homeboy got out of his hometown. He got out of his place where he was raised. Like in his mind, he's probably like, whoo, I have made it. I am alive, guys, never going back, like not doing that. And he is the cupbearer for the king, serving in the palace, like from Jerusalem to a palace, y'all. Like, like this, this is yes. So homeboy is happy, excited. But then we obviously see that after his hometown has been destroyed, he's not content. He's not happy. He is not thriving. And so Sometimes God will tug our hearts to go where he wants us to go. So this is clear that Nehemiah was pursuing the Lord. The Lord put something on his heart. And what is awesome is that he honors the authority above him. So instead of then leaving and being like, peace, cupbearer, I am doing my own thing, going to help my city. Like he goes to the king and he just asks the king, hey, can I go and serve my hometown? And you know what? If you read the Bible, it says how the king said yes and provided him with chariots and people to help him go. So when we honor authority, God blesses that. God's favor is on that. And it helped him begin to rebuild this city. And so for me, personal testimony, I'm from Columbia, South Carolina. I wanted to get here because it's Columbia. It's hot and muggy. People are always like, oh, that's the armpit of the South. Yeah, you're right. It is the armpit of the South. I was trying to get out of this armpit, trying to get to like an arm or elbow or something, but like anything about the armpit, but the Lord has kept me here. So, um, but I tried to go to school. I tried to go to college somewhere else. And then I ended up going to USC, no Fox, but, um, I loved it. It was a great experience. And even after that, I was like, well, I was sport and entertainment management major. Maybe I can go and work for the NFL. I'd go to Pennsylvania, work in an arena over there. And I was looking into it. And the God just really was not opening those doors. And he was keeping me here in Columbia, South Carolina. And God is continuously breaking my heart for the city of Columbia, how we can lead students, people into encounter Jesus here, literally my neighbors, my friends, the people in this area. And so that is how God led me here. The peace and the clarity that God wants me here in Columbia, South Carolina was because God began to break my heart for the people right where I'm at. So I want you to ask yourself as you're listening to this, where is God breaking your heart? Like what people has God put on your heart to love, to serve, to go out and do something? Maybe you have like something that's totally not even in your line of vision right now. Maybe you're in the palace and you're doing what you always thought you were going to be doing, what you were called to do, this crazy dream that you've achieved. Yet there's something in your heart that you didn't conquer before. There's something in your heart that brings you back to your past of just something that you believe God wants you to go back to and you thought you never would go back there. Is there something? Ask God right now. Invite him into that. Is there something that you believe God's calling you to do? And if so, do it. Talk to the Lord about it. Ask him if this is the next step. Ask him for strategies. Jesus, would you just download strategies to us right now of how to conquer 
what you want, how to go after your heart, God. And so if y'all don't mind, I just want to pray over you guys um, as we close this out. So, hey, Jesus, I just thank you so much for this opportunity just to get to talk about Nehemiah and Ezra, uh, your sons of the kingdom. And as your daughter of the kingdom, God, would you just make me more like you in every area? God, would you break my heart for what breaks yours like you did with Nehemiah, like you did with Ezra, God? Would you reveal your heart to me in every situation that I go into, God? Would you reveal to me right now and to anybody watching this right now, would you reveal your heart? Would you reveal your heart for the people groups, for the, the areas, the local schools, the, just the communities that need you, Jesus? Right now, I just believe you're bringing up city names. You're maybe even bringing up specific people's names because you want to reach those people. You have a heart for those people. There's not a single person that I have made eye contact with that isn't loved by you, God. So would you just download that into me right now and into everybody watching this? Thank you, Jesus, that we get to talk about you. We get to pray with you. We get to learn more about you. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining me. It was just an honor to just get to hang out with you guys, talk about Jesus, and invite Jesus into the conversation. So be blessed, stay lit, and go Cox, baby. Bye. <laughs>